Welcome to Homicide the Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Brandon. And welcome to Homicide the Podcast. Yes, welcome. This is episode seven. Yes, this is episode seven. And guess what? We have Anna here. She's back. Hi. <laughs> Basically, all of you told us that you like Anna more. So right. <laughs> thank God she's Stop back. Stop it. <laughs> um, Anna, we are so excited to have you back. We, we are. You a it lot. was weird doing it without you. Yeah. I know. It was weird editing it for the first time hearing it. <laughs> right? Without you here, it's really Being bizarre. Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> I know. And it happens to be like the longest episode we've decided to do too. <laughs> Literally. And we were, afterwards, you were like, oh shit, Anna's going to be mad. And I was like, yep, probably. No. <laughs> I was just like, damn, I wish I could say this at this point. <laughs> right. Or damn, I wanted to make fun of Brandon mispronouncing another word. Yeah. Okay, but I don't know if you noticed, but he did that a lot I did. in that episode. <laughs> I, I was like, Brandon, all no, right. No, I, I pull clips as I'm editing the episode, and I pulled a bunch of clips, and then I was like, wait, I need to just like choose one. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, I love You're it welcome. so much. One mispronunciation. Mispronunciation. <laughs> An episode. An episode, yep. Um, all right, well, cu- just a couple announcements, which we have ongoing. Uh, first off, we have started our Homotown Murders. Uh, so please send us your murders. Yeah, we've gotten a few already. We have gotten exciting. a few already. Yep. Uh, if you follow us, you notice that the first one was taken down. It was. Um, and it was taken down because of very specific reasons. It did very well. It did. Um, it was a great story. But people did not understand our branding. So we took it down. But anyway. Uh, so please don't write us in on any current unsolved murders. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Uh, but from that, uh, yes, please send in your home, hometown murders to murder at homicidepodcast.com. And we will basically read what you share with us. So yeah. Do the research and yep. send it our way. Yeah. We'll read. I don't know if we'll do our own fact checking. So we just uh, just take that as a warning. Whoever, whatever you send us, we're going to read. So. <laughs> No, we'll, we'll do so. I know, we'll do so. Uh, but anyway, and then the other thing that we're doing right now is what's the tea giveaway? Brandon, oh, yes, that's that? right. It's um, the giveaway we're doing to get uh, some more reviews on our Apple podcast. Um, so I forgot what it is. It's, okay, so basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little bit since we've recorded last, so it I'm has, like, wait, yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> um, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts specifically. Yes. Rate us five stars. Don't do anything else. And then uh, when you do that, take a screenshot of your review and share it on your social uh, platforms and, and tag Homicide the podcast. Yeah. Take a screenshot before you send it in because it'll yes. disappear for a couple days yeah, or hours yeah. or however long it or how long, to disappear. Yeah, Apple loves to take its time. It does. It takes updating. quite a long time to update. So annoying, but it's like the most powerful. So please leave us your reviews. Yes. That uh, is running that, that con- the contest, the giveaway. Uh, is running from now until the last episode of December because we announce winners on the episode on the second. Yeah, and so. you get, we didn't talk about what you get. You get some swag items from mm-hmm. Homicide. You get a little mug or a cup and some Sweat other stuff. Off. But then also the chance to either be on the show with us, yep. tell a story, or listen to us tell a story and react to it. <gasps> All of the options. Right. And you see how powerful it was to have Anna here. So just imagine you in that position. Right. Well, not Adding as a our producer. Into our we only have one producer, but yeah. I'm sorry, what? A I said foursome? adding a fourth into our threesome. Ooh, ooh. Non-sexual threesome. Saucy. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> um, okay. What a great well. segue into what the episode is. Yeah, so Which Brandon, is not what related is? at all. It is not, yeah. So Brandon, what yeah, is so episode Yeah, so I think seven? in our last episode we said that it might be host choice or you throw you threw out cold yeah, We were like, killings. we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And I was like, I think that's no, a great idea. No, I think idea. I was like, seventh heaven. 
I don't know, something about Seventh Heaven. One of our listeners was like, I love that show. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah. I actually did too. But well, anyways, yeah, it wasn't that. We decided to do cult killing. So we <gasps> each have a cult murderer. And probably ones that you haven't maybe heard of, or you may have, but yeah, I, mean, I hadn't I, heard of this one. I hadn't heard of mine either, but yeah. that doesn't mean that I didn't forget about hearing it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, right. there's so many stories to keep track of, right? So That's true. That is very, very, very true. Uh, all right. Well, and it's your turn to go first. I you wanna, know. Thank you want to jump right in? Yeah. Um, all right. Episode seven, Cult Killings. My episode. You guys. I named it, obviously. <laughs> of it course. Is, it is called, Dear Jeffrey, You Were No Prophet, You Dick. It's <laughs> the name of my episode. That was, that's a... It's a lengthy, good one. It was, yeah. Dear Jeffrey, you were no prophet, you dick. <laughs> How is it? It's always funny when people are like, I'm the prophet sent from God, and, and people are just so dumb that they follow him. Yeah, I mean, well, I feel like that's all cults, <clears throat> is that yeah. they're always, even the one I'm going to talk about. Religious-based? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. most cults are. Yeah, I know. Crazy. All right, well. Because most religions are cults. <clears throat> yep. Uh, <laughs> all right. It was April 10th, 1989, when two people, ordered by their leader began digging a six-foot by seven-foot by four-foot pit in the middle of a barn in the back of a farmhouse in Kirtland, Ohio. This is so dramatic. The storytelling is impeccable. <laughs> Thank right you. Now. Although, like, what's it? Is it ASMR? Is that like yes. the... And I can hear my, like... Right. Do you need some water? I poured you some. No, it's gum. Oh, gross. <laughs> I just chewing it. Um, also, I just love that you started off with they were ordered and they just went and did it. I know, isn't that crazy? They're like robots. Fucking cults are crazy. <laughs> like, absolutely, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Weird shit. Uh, okay, so what would begin as a dinner party would end in a planned night full of lookouts, chainsaws, duct tape, video games, horses, and murder. That's a very interesting selection. Video games. Horses. Yeah. Were this. they playing video games on horses? You'll see. While running chainsaws, basically. Yes, with duct tape. Yep. <laughs> so... This is the story of the Kirtland cult killings. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Okay. Here's what's interesting. So I never knew about this one. Have you guys heard about this? What? No. I had a fuzz on my mic I was trying to get without oh. making noises. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that on camera. Thank you. You are welcome. Um, anyway, have you guys ever heard of this one? No. The Kirtland cult killings? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, besides I the fact that you told me the name of it the other day, I don't think I've... I did. Now I'm sharing my names with Brandon because I'm like, well, shit, now I have titles. Now I can <laughs> get more creative with them. And I can only say, you know, weird shit. Okay. Anyway. Uh, okay. So the Kirtland cult started with a man named Jeffrey Don Lundgren. Uh, so Jeff was the son of Don and Lois Gadbury Lundgren. And he was born on May 3rd, 1950 in Independence, Missouri. Oh. He was born in Missouri. Well, that says a lot. I feel like a lot of killers are named John, too. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. I've never met anyone from Missouri. I haven't. Sorry, <laughs> it's Jeff. He's totally said John. Jeff. Oh. Like Jeffrey Dahmer. Did I say John? Um, no, Jeff. you said John. I said, you said Jeff. Did I say I Jeff? Said John. You said John. <laughs> Brandon, so, shut the fuck up. This is so dumb no, right now. What's going on? <laughs> I don't Brandon, know you've right. ruined my story. I totally did. I'm so sorry. Keep going. Love. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Jeffrey, which is the same as John, right? Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. I wonder if there's other, there's probably other Jeffs. How is that the yeah. same as John? What are you saying? <laughs> no, I said mine is Jeff, is the same as Jeffrey Dahmer. As Not. in John and yeah. Jeffrey are See, Brandon, popular just killer names. Oh, I okay. totally okay. did. 
the sass that in just shot me. I was like, I just was like, what? You're like, that is not Jeff right. and John are actually two different names. In case you didn't Holy know. Shit, that was really funny. All right. Any ways. Okay. So Jeff's dad actually worked in construction and his mom was a stay at home mom. Their family was actually very active participants in the local reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints, mm. otherwise known as the RLDS. Yes. Mormons. Terrifying. Basically, they're Mormons. Yeah. Which is really interesting, which I did start to do a deep dive on like the LDS Mormonism. and the RLDS. Uh, it's, it's a lot. I actually <clears throat> almost yeah. did another murder that was in based off of the RL, whatever. RL, yeah. I, I can't remember his. The, yeah, I got it. What is it again? RLDS. RLDS. Oh my God, why didn't I? I well, the have LDS. Have you guys seen the Netflix documentary yes, about, about it? about the guy it's that. It's so yeah, horrifying. It's so yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Oh, God, these people. Talk about cults and brainwash. Um, all in the name of religion. So these guys were Mormons. Okay. So it is said that Don, Jeff's dad, was actually very strict and would seriously punish them for little childish things. So his mom um, was also said to be like distant and inflexible, which is really weird. <laughs> Um, to describe her, but because <clears throat> my mind went right to like, oh, she doesn't her do, body. yeah, the girl should have done yoga, but <laughs> like, she's not, that's not what it means. But like, yeah. morally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, according <laughs> to, to according to Jeff, uh, he says that he was physically abused as a child, but uh, those allegations were never confirmed, but he did say them. So, uh, while he was growing up, he had very few friends and he was considered an arrogant person who was a loner by all of his former classmates. So he was also known through witness accounts to abuse animals once mm. nailing a rabbit to a piece of wood before beating it to death. Oh my gosh. Like we should have known. Yeah, yes. Yeah. All right. So Jeff's dad had a passion for hunting and guns naturally. Of course. And so as Jeff got older, Don, his dad would spend hours teaching him how to care for and maintain firearms, eventually teaching him how to use them for hunting and survival survival That's so i kind of got stuck on that, that too i'm like what was he teaching because, him to do for survival because hunting is just i mean that makes sense survival is like yeah i guess they go hand in hand yeah right I don't know. all right so jeff so basically he taught him how to kill someone that's all that was sure um which will come into play all okay. right jeff graduated high school and enrolled at central missouri state university where he majored in electronics didn't know that was a major and during his sophomore year, spent a majority of his time at the RLDS student house. There is where he met two people named Keith Johnson and Alice Keeler. Both are important figures, but Alice specifically. So Alice Keeler, uh, who had a bit of a rough time after she was after she turned twelve due to her dad being diagnosed with MS. Um, because of that diagnosis, he actually ended up turning violent due to the medications that he took, and her mom ended up working full time. She had siblings, so she actually had to take care of both her dad and her siblings during the day. Um, so it kind of forced her into, you know, yeah, being a little bit of a loner herself. And so she also dove into their local church group, also Mormon. So with that, um, she graduated high school and also enrolled at Central Missouri State University. So she became even more active in her church group and started to fall for Jeff, who also was in the church group through their school. Uh, and so they started spending a lot of time together. And by 1969, Alice got pregnant and her and Jeff ended up dropping out of college. And if you know anything about Mormonism, thing. that was not good. No. Yeah. Cause yeah. That having sex yeah. without being married, Pretty that's a marital sexual intercourse. Yeah. So Jeff's parents were so disappointed that they actually refused to attend the couple's wedding in 1970. 
which I thought was interesting. So, although they're never mentioned again. Oh. Hmm. So anyway, (laughs) Jeff then listed in the U.S. Navy and served about four years as an electronics technician before he received an honorable discharge in July of 1974. While he was serving, his first son, Damon Paul, and his second son, Jason Don, were both born. So both Jeff and Alice were living in San Diego, which is where he was stationed, um, when he was discharged. And then shortly after um, him being discharged, he became, he became even more active in the RLDS church and would often seek out friends that he could convert to their oh. faith. Ew. That's so creepy. I agree. So leave people alone. Thank you. So anyway, <clears throat> due to Jeff's horrible attitude and irresponsibility, <laughs> Jeff could not hold down a job. So they decided to move back to Independence, Missouri, which is where he was born. Um, and by June of 1979, their third kid, her name was Kristen Michelle, was born. So after that, Jeff apparently became fairly abusive and would abuse Alice, who's now his wife. And his children. And at one point, Jeff pushed Alice down a flight of stairs so hard that it caused her spleen to rupture. Oh, oh my gosh. Which sent her to the hospital, obviously. That's that's how hard you have to throw somebody for that to happen. So rude. Uh, yeah. But why are I mean, like, hard. the most religious people the so most abusive? abusive? I know, I agree. Because they've got a God complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. wonder why. Because all I have to do is do four Hail Marys and our father and I'll be saved. <laughs> That's cat. That's I know, Catholicism. I know. <laughs> That's my experience with religion. Oh God. Um, all right. So cut to 1980. Their fourth child, Caleb Matthew, is actually born. So uh, I put in here that it's actually worth noting that it said that the last two of their kids were purposeful from Alice because she really wanted to make sure that she held her marriage together and wanted to curtail Jeff's wandering eye. Oh, so she just said, oh, I'm going to have babies with this man so he doesn't leave me. They had already had their other kids, but they purposely, yeah, I'm gonna continue she, like, to purposely have more like, children. got to, yeah, more. So in 1981... Which is never a reason to stay with someone? No. That's, or a reason to like fill a void in your life. Yeah, no. If you have a void in your life, don't have a child. No, don't bring don't children Don't have a child in. just to stay with somebody. Hello. No, that's gross. Yeah, weird. Anna, do you have anything to say about that? Um... I just think that most of the time when men become parents, they like ruin women's lives. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know why having more kids with a guy (laughs) that hates you is going to make your life better. It's not weird. He's just going to become more and more detached. Exactly. Like Alice, what were you doing? All right, so 1981, Jeff was asked to join the RLDS lay priesthood, but this is also when he says he lost all faith in the church and its teachings. So apparently, allowing women to be ordained as priests in the RLDS is what really pissed him off the most. Well, of course. Yep. So from there... Because he's a white male. Sure. Straight Mormon. white male. Um, and I don't actually know too, too much about Mormonism also, in general, but... isn't the RLDS the one where... Polygamy is a thing? That's yes. LDS. Oh, what? That's yeah. one What's of the, the DSs. RLDS so, and LDS are different. Well, there's a, like a there bunch a of different Mormonisms that are yeah. out there. Yeah. Forms um, of Mormonism. The LDS is the Netflix one. Yeah. That's, so that's where like polygamy the is RLDS a thing. The RLDS are just regular not. Mormons. Mm, yes. Like they but just wear regular clothes and... I think so. But it's called... Like the Real Housewives. Reorganized. Are part of... What? Really? The Real Housewives of Utah. Or of Salt Lake. Oh, yeah. Anybody no, from Utah. Of Salt Lake. Yeah, there's you a few that shout, like, shout out to anyone in Yuha. 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 And Yeha. Yuha and Yeha. 
Um, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I actually went to high school with um, quite a few people that were Mormons. In fact, oh, there were a ton of Mormons in my in high yours? school. Yeah. Um, we had a Mormon family that lived down the street that was really trying to get my mom or my adopted mom to like convert to them. We used to, we lived on a farm. They lived on a farm. We used to have dual family um, slaughter production lines for slaughtering <laughs> chickens. It was fucked up. Yeah, Kevin's life yeah. is so interesting. And I know my adopted sister Brian listens to this, and she was a part of it. So yeah, really That's weird awful. shit. And our yeah, my like you would just mom. like take a chicken, chop it. Go yeah, down basically, the line. like, and they wanted me to join them in to do the chopping. And I was like, "Fuck y'all, I ain't doing that." Mm-mm. And so I was like in charge of after they like boiled them for a little bit, like plucking their feathers out. It was horrible. That's awful. It was awful. Like I. Like I get a that's part of Kevin's life. But, trauma. You know, there's a lot more. I mean, you heard my rooster story about my adopted mom making me kill the rooster in class. Were you there that day? Yeah. Yeah, fucked up shit. Which again. Okay, but nobody on the podcast that's listening <laughs> no. was there to listen to that. So what's that story before <laughs> we get back to it? Uh, I don't want to say. <laughs> I mean, we can save it for another day. No, because now everyone's going to be like, Ugh, tell it. Um, suspense. Oh, I know, suspense. Right. Okay, real quickly. There was one day when I was in high school where I took care of the chickens on our farm. Okay, so we lived on a farm in Bertha, Colorado. I took care of all of the chickens in general. We had a lot because we had a whole chicken coop in our barn. Yeah. And um, anyway, one day I was in charge of giving them food and water, opening their chicken coop, all that kind of shit every day. And so one morning I just forgot somehow, I don't know how, but I forgot to let them out. And I think it was probably because I was out there late doing whatever and collecting eggs and just did shit at night that I just forgot that morning. Or whatever. I had so many fucking chores as a goddamn, what, 14-year-old or 15-year-old <laughs> that it's like... So anyway, because um, my adopted mom, man, she loved dictating all these chores, but that bitch didn't do anything. But anyway, <laughs> you can tell I, she's, she's my a lovely favorite woman. person. But anyway, uh, she... So I, I left them in. It was a little bit of a warm day. And so uh, I got back home from high school and the chicken coop was still closed. And I walk into my adopted mom being such an asshole, angry at me for not letting them out of the chicken coop. <laughs> so um, I'm like, why? And, you know, I was starting to be a little bit sassy at that time. Now I'm like a lot. But <laughs> I was like, why would you not let them out? Because it was still closed and it yeah. was hot. Um, and she was like, I'm not going to go out there and do that. That's your job or whatever. And I'm like, bitch, you. Like those animals were just what? there all day. Yeah. You could have done something. <laughs> so I went out, I let them out. And then she met me in the pasture. And she was like, and as your punishment, you need to kill the mean rooster because we had a pretty mean rooster. Oh that would, like, like what kind you. of punishment is that? Yeah, kill the mean rooster. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, ma'am, that's how murderers are made. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's lucky. So anyway, I had to basically take this chicken, uh, the rooster, into our dog run, which was like attached to our um, our house, and it took me about three hours because I was like sobbing and it was horrible because I don't want to kill anything. Like this is horrible. So. Um, I had to, yeah, it took me about that long to like chop its head off when I finally did it. Um, it was horrible. There was the blood cause I didn't do it right. So there was just blood. It was fucking awful. It was messy. And so anyway, my adopted mom walks out and she was like, and now we're having that for dinner. <laughs> so what a something, psychopath. I know, right? something flipped in my mind. Like, and I, what, like what a better way to make a traumatic experience even, even more, more traumatic. traumatic. Okay. You killed it. Now yeah. you have to eat it. So something, yeah. something flipped Sounds in my like mind. Sounds like a cult leader. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> something flipped in my mind and I ripped the fuck out of it. And, um, so we wouldn't be able to eat it. Right. And nobody eats a rooster. That's not like you eat meat chickens. Meat chickens are like a different. Yeah. Anyway. Um, 
And so I ended up finishing it all up. It was messy and I, it was all in my hands. I went to the back door of our patio and she opened it up and she was like, what is that? And I, and I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, uh, we're not eating this. Fuck you. And I threw it onto the ground right in front of her and walked into the house. Um, that was your mic drop moment. I guess. Your rooster drop um, moment. Anyway, it was horrible. It was incredibly traumatic. And it's interesting enough when Brandon met her, she brought this shit up. And she thought it was so funny. She did. And what did she, she say? Was she so was funny. like, well, you never let, you never forgot to open up that chicken coop again, did right. you? She was so proud of herself as like she a, was. a like teachable just, like, oh, parent moment. So amazing. Oh, the the amount of she will probably never understand the amount of trauma that she inflicted on her kids but what's really fucked up is that i came from that i was adopted i was in foster care for a reason yeah and she instilled even more yeah on a kid that already went through some shit so uh, luckily i'm good like i worked through all my shit but mm, she will probably never understand the the severity yeah of her actions because in her mind i'm the vile one that's what she told me last time i talked to her <laughs> anyway uh okay back to it okay uh, yes and that is the story of the rooster killed and the dog run in birthed colorado r.i.p okay no trauma there no trauma there there's no trauma <laughs> <laughs> all right so <clears throat> back to the story so from there jeff mr jeff uh started a mormon splinter group and he began holding study groups in his home so uh, the current members that he had had included his friends from college, um, Dennis and Toya, Patrick. Uh, so Dennis and Toya, Patrick, Dennis and Cheryl Avery. Those are important names to remember. Dennis and Cheryl Avery. Dennis and, Jeff's, and Cheryl. Dennis and Cheryl. And Jeff's cousin, Debbie Oliveras. She's not as important. No. Well, ish. Sorry, Debbie. <laughs> no, she is. <laughs> um so like many cult leaders, <clears throat> Jeff actually had a, a way with people where he could easily convince them to follow his word, just in general. He like had that air about him. So people believed that um, he had uncovered what he said was the truth in Scripture, in the Book of Mormon. So because of that, people started to worship the ground he walked on and eventually became or began donating money to support his family. They believed in him that much. I just don't get how somebody <laughs> can just... If somebody was Follow like, somebody give like me that. money, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. No. <laughs> you don't get my Maybe money. Maybe that's just years of living in New York that have gotten us to be like, we're jaded. No, no. We're New York jaded, <laughs> um, which I would rather be. So uh, anyway, Jeff uh, eventually obviously got greedy and was quite unhappy with the small amounts of, pe of money that people were donating to him. Um, so he announced that the scriptures were now commanding him to move to a town called Kirtland, Ohio. Where he the scriptures would, want you to move to Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine he's like reading them and it literally says move to, move to Ohio. 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 Yes. Right. Um, anywhere where he said that <laughs> um, <so> stupid. <laughs> he said that this is where he would receive his true power oh. from God. Mm -hmm. So in Ohio, in Ohio. Okay. In Kirtland, Ohio, the motherland, yep. Ohio. <laughs> so in 1984, Jeff moved and arrived in Kirtland. So, he was immediately attracted to immediately attracted to this place there. <laughs> I'm you right now. Uh, he was immediately attracted to a place there called Chapin Forest, uh, and eventually told his followers that he had discovered where the Book of Mormon plates had been buried, which was there uh, after they were brought over from the Holy Land. Mm. I was gonna go into that, and then I was like, I really don't want to know, so I didn't <laughs> because I'm like plates for the Book of whatever. Anyway, yeah. um, and of course they would be in Ohio. 
Duh, the scripture said they would be. Uh, so anyway, both Jeff and Alice became temple guides at the Mormon temple that was actually in Kirtland. Uh, and because they became, like they were pretty quickly accepted because it's a small town, uh, that anyway, the, the leaders of the temple ended up giving them a weekly salary, free room and board, and a home behind the church. And um, that's when Jeff started using his tours to fold in his own views and beliefs. Oh, that's cool. I'm sorry, his what? His, his tours? His tours, yeah, because they... Tours. Basically. <laughs> tours? Tours. 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 <laughs> you did say tours. 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 Is that not the right way to say it? Tours. Tours. tours? What do I say? Tours? You tours. said tours. Is tours wrong? Tours. Tours? Yeah. You know when you say a word so many times, it like sounds weird? Both of them sound it wrong just now. <laughs> but tours. <laughs> oh, they both do sound wrong right now. There's some Tour. other words that I say that you're like, what? What? I don't remember what they are right now, but they'll come. They will. Anyway. All right. Tours. <laughs> okay. Well, they gave tours. And he pushed his own agenda. Tours. And they, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he would push his own agenda there. So anyway, after some time, Jeff started to steal money from the church. Uh, so he would, he actually ended up stealing about $25,000 in donations and profits. Oh my gosh. Which is quite a bit of money. Which then I'm like, wow, do churches really need that much money? Well, I mean, none of it's being taxed. No, they don't, but <clears throat> sure. Anyway, uh, Jeff then began um, to once again teach from his home. So while, when he was doing his tours, <clears throat> yeah, that feels awkward. <laughs> once he, so when he was doing his tours, thank you, uh, he actually at the same time began to teach from his own home. So people were incredibly attracted to him due to his knowledge of scripture uh, and started to believe that he was much more than a guide for the church, but rather something much bigger. I mean, of course. So Jeff would do his temple tours, then invite those people to his home, convincing them to move, join him, and give him all their money. So people were convinced that he was a prophet. Like this is the time that people were starting to be convinced he was a prophet. So it's crazy because he basically moves to this town, becomes this... Um, tour guide in a temple and convinces all these people to fucking leave just, their towns and come how i just don't get the how you can convince somebody of that well, i think it was because of, i mean it said it was because of the way that he would speak about scripture yeah in general but like how i think he, that there's I just it's just it would be great to hear like him speak on it you know to be I like agree. how did he convince people to mm -hmm. to do that i don't know without any evidence like I mean, at least Jesus was like walking on water. Sure. Yeah. Right? Like what evidence do you Turning have? Turning Jeff. And he was wine ugly as Water to wine. Um, so anyway. <laughs> they always are ugly I know. So yeah, because of his like, the way that he did this, he convinced all these people to move there. So by 1986, Jeff's teachings had become a lot more extravagant and started to include acts of violence and sexual acts. And it actually didn't matter though to these people. Of course not. Because by this time, he had become the point of authority. That people's own moral compass were out the window because they believed he was the superior being. So, cool. at this time, a lot of shit happened. <laughs> so, um, he ended up getting, I think he was already fired, eh, maybe, maybe not yet. Anyway, um, in his home environment, he actually would start to say shit to people. He claimed that there were two specific dates for the return of Christ, claiming that Jesus would return and destroy everyone except those deemed righteous. <laughs> Which Why is it always doomed to those who don't follow? <laughs> My religious biological family say the same shit. I'm like, okay. Mm, you have the so, second coming of Christ. Sure. So uh, anyway, both dates 
ended up passing. <laughs> so Jeff then As said they do. that he had a vision that the group had to seize the local temple on his birthday and included and created a hit list for local RLDS church officials and residents that would be executed if they got in his way. Oh, He called this the ultimate cleansing and said it would trigger the apocalypse. So by this time he was fired. Like he wasn't That's there anymore. That's called terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> right? Ah, it totally is. So anyway, they built an arsenal. Um, so all of these people, his followers, built an arsenal and became a bit more militant. So they would like hold practice um, military things on. Like, it's fucking weird. So um, anyway, they even staged, they even staged uh, a couple um or so he okay the cops actually caught on a little bit at some point about like stuff that was happening so they kind of started to look out for them and because of this um they questioned jeff and nothing came about it or whatever but because of the questioning jeff eventually staged a couple of people in an apartment across from the police station so they could monitor the police now what does that sound like scientology well yes it does yeah so also crazy. I mean, it it's like crazy. in Clearwater, Florida there. Everywhere there. Yeah. <clears throat> they sure are. So in anyway. The, in the politics and everything. Mm-hmm. So by April 1987, the Avery family, remember those two that I said at the beginning mm-hmm. who were a part of his like following at first, um, they were the ones that originally joined Jeff in, in Independence, Missouri, moved to Kirtland to join them. So what they didn't know when they moved there is that both Jeff and his, Al- and his wife Alice really did not like them at all. <laughs> and so... Shortly after their arrival, um, Alice actually went to Jeff and she was like, why did you let them come here? And he simply replied to her and said, so I can get their money. <laughs> so. Honest king. Right? <laughs> Thank you for your transparency. Yeah. I'm just uh, here to steal from them. So. <laughs> so what's interesting is that when they moved there, they sold their house and they ended up getting like $19,000. They gave Jeff $10,000 of that money. Because he simply said he would take care of their needs. And did he? <laughs> um, I'm assuming he killed Depends them. <laughs> on what their needs were. Uh, but anyway, how crazy is that, though? That's insane. I would never, like, I, I would never do that. There's no. no one in my life that could convince me. Even if there was, like, a, okay, let's say that a casting director came to me and they were like, if you give me $10,000, I'll put you in this movie. I would say, no, thank you. Yeah. I'm not giving you my money. No. That's the only way that I can relate it because maybe I would question it. Uh, but No. Anyway, so... But not enough to do it. Not enough to do it. No, thank you. So anyway, by September of 1987, church officials at that temple um, had fired him, obviously, and stripped him of his ministerial credentials due to the extent of his unorthodox teachings, which led to him immediately withdrawing his membership, which they said that they would have forced his membership out anyway because of everything that he had done. So because of this, it forced him to leave the housing that he had for free. So this was actually when he had gotten fired. Uh, and all that. So Jeff, um, when the Averys came, there was a realtor that was local that he knew uh, that was showing them, like a landlord, that was showing them some properties. There was this farmhouse that Jeff was like looked at with the Averys but never addressed, and mm-hmm. the Averys went to somewhere else. But he kept this farmhouse in his mind. So <clears throat> when he got forcibly removed from this church when they couldn't live there for free anymore, he contacted that realtor and was like, that farmhouse, is it still available? And the guy said, yeah. So they move to this farmhouse. So he moves his family, some followers, and more to this farmhouse um, in Kirtland. 
It's like right outside of it. So throughout the rest of the year, Jeff and his son grew their arsenal and began training men for combat and would hold would hold mock scenarios and more on this farmhouse or at this farmhouse, which is really fucking weird. So by February 1988, Kevin Curry, who was actually one of the members of the cult, um, left at one point because yeah. he didn't like how the teachings were going, but then he ended up coming back. So he then left again uh, because of his teachings. Uh, this time when he left um, and because he feared Jeff, he decided to contact the FBI who then turned it over to the Kirtland police, Dennis. The guy's name was Dennis Yarborough. So um, the police chief, Dennis, thought that it was serious enough to, and started investigating Jeff and his followers. And then another member, Shar, ended up leaving as well, which angered him a lot. So by 1989, Jeff began promising his followers that he would take them to see God. To make the journey, however, the cult had to seize the Kirtland Temple and kill anyone who tried to stop them. So he brought that up again. So um, with it not happening, it did not happen. So then he switched his mind a little bit and said that he had a vision and that the mm. vision, it's always a vision. This is who he was telling to most of his followers minus some, but he said that he had a vision and that the vision told him that it was um, that he had to sacrifice the Avery family. And that would be enough to, for the group to reach their goal. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently um, Jeff felt that Cheryl Avery was headstrong and that her children were unruly and um, at the same time Dennis also, be, also began to question Jeff's teachings during class like outwardly would question him and so since no one ever questioned Jeff naturally as a cult leader right? yeah, it sounds like Trump um, <laughs> people in the group couldn't understand why Dennis would ever question um uh, Jeff and that uh, they started to see him questioning Jeff as potential lethal ramifications. I mean, of course. Yeah. Because that's what they would believe. Yeah. Like you can't question the prophet. No, of course not. So, and anyway, of course that person would now need to die. Yeah. So he slowly got the group to think that what Dennis was doing was extremely sinful. So the murders. <clears throat> so April 10th of 1989 is when Jeff finally decided to put his plan to sacrifice the Averys into action. And he ordered two followers. This brings us back to the beginning, Keith and Ron to begin digging a pit in the barn, which would be used <laughs> to conceal the family's bodies. It took them four days to so in the barn where dig they all live. No, there was a barn, a barn on the, the property <clears throat> of where they all yeah, live. Yeah. So at the same time, Jeff decided he would relocate all of his followers and would abandon the farm after the murders he ordered all of the women to start packing all of their belongings. He then went and told the Averys um, that the entire group would be going on a wilderness retreat and told them to prepare to leave Kirtland. So they started packing up all their shit and all that Just crap. to think that they were going to go on a Yeah. So on April 17th of 1989, Jeff and his entire group moved all of the Averys' belongings to the farm and rented them a room at a nearby motel with the idea that the next day they would be going and leaving for this wilderness retreat. So that evening, uh, the group, which was quite a few people in general, including the Avery's, sat down for dinner at 6.30 at night. Following dinner, Jeff went into his bedroom, calling all the men, minus Dennis, into the bedroom. While in the bedroom, Jeff then showed them all a forty-five Colt Combat Elite, a gun, 
uh, and asked the men one by one whether they were with him or not. Each said yes. Of course. Had no questions and followed Jeff out to the barn. In the barn is where Jeff laid out the plan. So what they would do, and this gets pretty rough. What they would do is they, they would bring, this is what he was telling everybody. We're going to bring out every member of the Avery family out into the barn. When they get out here, we're going to bind them with tape. We'll cover their eyes and we'll place them into the pit where we will execute them. Oh, and no oh one said gosh. anything. And they were just like, okay. Yep. Okay, let's do that. That so, doesn't sound like a sin. No, <laughs> no at all. No. So no one questions anything. There were no questions. And apparently after he spoke, Jeff just looked at this guy, Ron Luff, and said, let's do it. So... Mm. No, this was hard to write down. But anyway, so uh, Ron left the barn and went back to the house where, where he asked Dennis first to come out to the barn to give him a hand preparing equipment for the trip. Dennis agreed and followed. So as they're walking to there, um, a voice says, here they come. Because there was, everyone had a role in this. The lookout said, here they come. Oh my gosh. So when, Den- when Dennis entered the barn, Ron hit him with a stun gun. But it was such a low voltage um, that Dennis just cried out in pain. But the men were all on him in a moment. And they bound him with duct tape. They lifted him and dragged him to the pit where Jeff was literally sitting at the top on a pile of dirt with a gun in his hand. Oh, my gosh. How terrifying is that? I know. So they ended up lowering Dennis into the pit and backed away. So a guy named Greg, or sorry, Gray. I thought it was Greg. That's Greg. I put Gray. (laughs) Um, hmm. so a guy named Greg Winship who was standing outside of the barn was given a signal to start a chainsaw in order to muffle the sound of the gun blast the chainsaw started and Jeff shot Dennis in the back with two shots as he attempted to get on his knees in the pit oh my gosh so this was very premeditated highly this is like just wait so Ron then left the barn um returning to the house for Cheryl, the wife. So she agreed and followed. When she entered the barn, they attempted to stun gun again, but it failed. And she simply just gave in and let the men bound her with tape. And it said that somebody just whispered in her ear, just don't fight it. So she didn't. Well, I mean, at that point, it's like, how do you get out of something like that? Yeah, and I'm sure that she probably could see yeah. like her husband in the, I'm assuming in the pit, I'm not sure. Um, but it, they said that they dragged her to the pit and lowered her next to the body of her husband. The chainsaw started. Jeff shired three shots. The first uh, two shots struck Cheryl in the right breast. Um, and while she fell, the third hit her abdomen. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and then Ron, after that was done, then returned for the kids. So, and this I don't love. Uh, Dennis and Cheryl had three daughters. So the daughters were 15, 13, and 7. So... Uh, like why couldn't first... you just let them go? Oh, so when Ron came back into the house, nobody could hear anything because of the chainsaw. So um, he returned to the house, and there were all the girls were in the living room playing video games and discussing the exciting trip that they were about to take the next day. So he wa- he wa- he walked in and got Trina, who was their fifteen year old daughter, asking her to come out to the barn with him. She entered the barn and stood completely still, like her mom, as the men bound her. Uh, Richard and Ron then picked her up and lowered her into the pit. Jeff then shot her as she was leaning her head against the dirt. Uh, the bullet grazed her head and she screamed in pain and fear. The next bullet then entered her skull 
um, on the left side and exited just below her right ear, killing her instantly. Then, Ron then, so now we're at three. Uh, So then Ron returned back to the house again and asked Becky and Karen, um, which were the other two daughters, if they wanted to go out to the barn and see the horses. Both girls jumped up really excited, ran to the door to get out to the barn. And uh, Ron said, of course, only one could go. So he said, Karen, um, sit back at the TV. Becky, you can go with me. Karen was a seven-year-old. Becky, who was 13, walked out to the barn with Ron. And um, they started to bound her. But as they did that, the men pretended to be playing a game. So they bound her up. The game was over. They placed her on top of her mom's body in the pit, uh, which had already become soaked with blood. So imagine that. So Greg, outside, started the chainsaw. Jeff fired two shots. The first bullet struck Becky in the left thigh, and the second hit her in the chest. She did not die right away. And they did not make sure she was dead. So Greg, who was the one operating the chainsaw outside, uh, ended up coming into the barn right after that to just see whatever, all the bodies, and he saw that Becky was actually still alive, making gasping and gurgling noises. But they all just left her to suffer in pain. What the fuck? Jesus. Yeah. So As if this isn't already hard enough. It's horrible. So then Ron returns back to the house for the last girl. Um, So as before, they walk her out to the barn where a lookout says, here they come. And then Ron um, had actually put Karen on his shoulders. So he's like walking out to the barn. Like playfully. Like it's a fucked up so once in the barn they bound karen who was seven and placed her in the pit next to her sister becky who by the way was still alive um the chainsaw started and jeff fired two shots one hit karen in the chest and the other hit her in the head she died instantly too so after that jeff instructed ron and richard to spread lime over the bodies and cover them with dirt it took them two hours to do that after that so alice remember jeff's wife yeah um, had left the home with all the other kids at this time she calls to see, is the company gone, is what she said when she called in. Once Alice returned home, Jeff Damon, so Jeff, his son Damon, and his wife Alice, drove to the motel where the Averys were staying and removed all their belongings. And so on April uh, 18th, which was the next day, uh, Jeff divided his followers into small groups who then left at different times throughout the night so they didn't raise any suspicion. So they all jetted. They were gone. So from April to October, the cult moved to a campsite where the men were ordered to give their wives over to Jeff for cleansing so he could cleanse them with his seed. Yeah. So he would brag about, um, so in general, he would brag about the murders uh, and everyone. I mean, of course, why wouldn't he? Yeah. And uh, the thing that he loved the most was that everyone feared him because of the murders. Because it was proof that he would just kill you. But also, you all fell in line with it. Any one of you could have stopped that any moment in time, but you didn't. Exactly. So the camp started to fall apart, obviously, as people started questioning Jeff's teachings and his status as a prophet. So by the 13th of October, Jeff decided to abandon the camp and travel to Missouri, where they stayed in a barn. Um, After a week, Jeff decided the group should break up and come together the next summer. Uh, and so at that time, each man was instructed to go get a job, provide for his family and save money to give to Jeff when they returned. So, so he was running out of money. So he was like, okay, new plan. Yeah. So go Richard, do this and give it to me. Yeah. Richard and Greg, two of them that were involved in the murders, um, at that time decided to leave the group. They, um, and so them actually leaving the group, uh, gave others hope to leave as well. So by mid December, Jeff was starting to worry, um, 
that people that had left would talk about the murders and uh, then decided that he jetted and went to Southern California with his family. I'm sorry. If you're going to be too worried, maybe don't fucking do it. I know. So I'm also like, that's crazy to fully go through a mass killing and then be like, I'm going to, I I'm thinking yeah. I'm going to leave this cult now. I know. So, like, <laughs> like, I don't, I wouldn't count your own life as secure. After no, that no, because now not. you have information that yeah, hundred percent. Um, so anyway, when Jeff and his family got to Southern California, they rented a storage locker, stored all their guns and supplies and all that shit. So by New Year's Eve, Keith Johnson, also a part of it, could no longer live with his guilt and ended up contacting an informant friend who arranged a meeting with the Kansas City agents. That's where he was. So during this meeting, Keith spilled literally everything. Um, he drew a map to the bodies, all of it. The investigators in Kansas City didn't really believe him, but they faxed over everything, including the map to FBI in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, they also didn't really believe him. <laughs> and so no I mean, action. I feel like that's something that's yeah seems so, like a wild story. Exactly. So the FBI were like, eh, and instead contacted this Kansas City agency, and they were like, here's the Kirtland Police Department. I would maybe talk to them. So um, on... Uh, not to, so basically they did chief Yarborough, who was the one that was like, mm, these guys are a little bit odd. Let me investigate them. But nothing came about it received it. And he was like, oh, okay. So he then assigned deputy Ron old and uh, to check on the whereabouts of the Avery family. Obviously they were unable to locate that family. Um, so then they contacted the owner of the farmhouse and said, can we please search this property? Cause that they knew that they had last been there. And had picked up and left. So on January 3rd of 1990, both uh, Yarborough and Andolesky, or and I did not say that right the first time, uh, took the map made by Keith Johnson and located an area in the northeast corner of the barn that appeared to have been disturbed. Because when they were leaving, uh, Jeff also said cover it with trash bags. So they like yeah. lime, dirt, trash bags. So uh, when they got that, they were like, oh, we probably need to maybe dig here. So they started digging and after just a few inches into the plot, the men were overcome with a pungent smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shortly after 9 PM and 30 inches below the surface, they discovered the first body because basically they just threw them all on top of each other. Yeah. And, and then just them. Yeah. covered them. Okay. So arrest and trial, um, as the news of the discovery hit the, the news, members of the cult began coming forward one by one to tell their version of the events, hoping to receive leniency, obviously, <laughs> which I find to be interesting because then you motherfuckers knew it was wrong. Exactly. Right? And so they shouldn't be get any kind of leniency. Nothing, nothing. Agreed. You all should be put in jail. And, I know. I mean, honestly, you all should be bound, gagged and shot. You should be and buried Yeah, done the same way that. Yeah. So Lake County prosecutor, Stephen Latorte, uh, wasted no time in obtaining search warrants uh, for Jeff, Alice, Damon, Ron Luff, Susan Luff, Richard Brand, Greg Winship, Danny Kraft, Deborah Oliveras, Sharon Blunchley, Dennis Patrick, Tanya Patrick, and Catherine Johnson. Those are all the people present. So almost all minus Jeff, Alice, Damon, Danny Kraft, and Kathy Johnson were arrested like pretty quickly. Uh, so by January 5th, Jeff, who was in South, um, Southern California, contacted his mother-in-law, Alice's mom, Donna Keeler, and asked her to drive to him to pick up her grandchildren. And so Donna uh, contacted the police, obviously, and relayed the information to ATF agencies. So Jeff, Allison, Damon were all arrested at a motel just outside the Mexico border because they were planning to run. (laughs) 
So on January 10th, a San Diego patrol um, unit spotted Danny and Kathy traveling west on Route 78, and they were also arrested. So March 7th, 1990, Richard Brand pleaded guilty to five counts of murder in exchange for leniency on the premise that he would cooperate with the state. Um, April to May of 1990, Greg Winship, Sharon uh, Blunchley, uh, Susan Luff, and Debbie Oliveras all accepted plea bargains offered by the prosecution. Greg, Greg um, who was the chainsaw guy, I think, uh, pleaded guilty to five counts of murder, um, while Sharon, Susie, and Debbie pleaded guilty to five counts each of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, because they all knew it was happening. Yeah. Um, and were holding the girls inside. So, um, July 1990, Alice, Jeff's wife, was found guilty on all counts which included kidnapping and complicity uh, to commit aggravated murder. She was given multiple sentences to be served consecutively and would be eligible for parole after 100 years. <laughs> um, on August 29th, 1990, Jeff was found guilty on all counts and showed literally no emotion when verdicts were read. Of course not. It only took him. It only took two hours for the jury to find him guilty. On September 21st, 1990, he was sentenced to death. Good. So Damon, his son, was found guilty of kidnapping and aggravated murder in the deaths of Dennis, Becky, Trina, and Karen, but was actually acquitted in the death of Cheryl, the mom. They, I guess, determined that he like wasn't in the barn at that time or something. I don't know. So <laughs> on September 26, 1990, Damon... Because he didn't know that one was happening. Yes, um, he did. 1990, Damon was sentenced to two years to life um, for each count of aggravated murder, which was all five, or sorry, all four. And then in October, Dennis and Toya, or Dennis and Tanya Patrick, pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice and were placed on probation for 18 months. <laughs> um, and then November 5th, Dan Kraft pleaded guilty to five counts of aggravated murder and five counts of kidnapping. Ron Luff was also found guilty on all five, on all five counts. And Kathy Johnson, Richard Brand, Greg Winship, Sharon Blunchy, uh, Susan Luff, and Debbie Oliveras were all sentenced in January of 1991, um, which is interesting. And so, cut to October 24th, 2006. Um, after several appeals, Jeff was executed. So, you can't ask him any questions. He's gone. I mean, yeah. bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friends. And that was the story of the cult killings. <laughs> did you forget what you I were did, saying? I did. Dear Jeffrey. Uh, what dear Jeffrey, you were no prophet, you dick. No, you are no problem. Okay, yeah. So, uh, all right, friends, that was the story of the Kirtland <clears throat> Cult, which was run by Jeffrey Dunlundgren. Yeah. And again, dear Jeffrey, you were not a prophet, you dick. Yeah, that was a good one. That was it. Yeah. Nice, Bob. So, Brandon. My turn. All right. So, mine is on the Alexander family. Oh. Yeah, so I have it labeled as a cult-ish murder because this is, oh. they were in a cult but they did not, they killed because of the cult, but it wasn't like, it wasn't in the sense of what yours was as, in the sense that it was people killing. I feel like that could be a movie, cultish. Cultish, yeah. yeah. It's a book, I think. Is, Is it, it really? really? Yeah. Oh, good to know. All right. Um, Look at that, Anna coming in with the facts. <laughs> I read. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Uh, no. All right. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, have you ever heard of the Lorber Society? No. Um, or in German, it's the Lorber Gildeschlaft, however you say that. If I it's, haven't heard it in English, I certainly <laughs> haven't heard it in German. 
Really? Yeah. Oh. Huh. <laughs> Can you say it again? What's it called? I don't even know how to say it, but it's the Lorber Society. But it's Lorber, G-E-S-E-L-L-S-She. Justin Schlaft. She. S-C-H-A-F-T. I know the last part of it is Shaft. Yes. Gesselschlaft. Whatever. Well, just a slap, slap, so to go know. into a little bit of background. So Jacob Lorber was born in the year 1800, exactly, in a small village in Sylvania. So growing up, he was a seemingly normal man. I didn't see too much um, before the cult started, uh, but he was a well-educated man, trained as a village teacher, uh, and was also a talented violinist and was deeply religious, which, I mean. There we go. Yep. There it is. <laughs> so by the time it hit 1840, uh, Lorber was 40 years old, and something weird started to happen to him. He started to hear a voice in his head um, that he said felt like it came from deep within himself, somewhere near the vicinity of his heart. So he was possessed. <laughs> yeah. So this voice um, is what uh, made people categorize him as a Christian mystic. Now you may be wondering, what is that? So, well, according to Britannica, because I came with facts, Christian mysticism is the sense of some form of contact with the divine or transcendent, often understood in Christian uh, tradition as involving a union with God. So that's right, my friends. (laughs) Lorber had a voice of Jesus speaking through him. Mm. Um, apparently the voice, um, apparently the voice spoke and let him know that it was in fact Jesus and that Lorber believed every word of it. Um, in the beginning, Lorber was a little confused, but as time went on, the voice started talking so much that he decided he had to write it down. So for the next 24 years, Lorber wrote down every word that he heard from internal Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Internal Jesus. And like, it's funny because Kevin and I joke around and call Jesus Jesus. Jesus. Um, so I'm re- having a really hard time not calling Can him Jesus. Can you just from now on call him <laughs> Jesus? So according to Jacob Lorber, yes, I will. Okay. So, but in the I, know, in, I kind in of the just like way that we're doing, kept going. Jesus. Jesus. So yeah. um, according to Jacob-Lorber.net, he wrote 25 volumes and in total about 10,000 pages. Look at him coming in with that .net. Right. right. There's actually quite a few websites about him oh, because, because people still follow the idea, the ideas that he had. Wow. Um, wow. So overall, the writings were um, all rooted in Christian ideals as, they, um, as he was raised a Roman Catholic. However, they were a bit more extreme and harped on a lot of extreme self-denial to gain God's favor. Now, I don't really understand what that means. I saw that was in a lot of different sources. You said favor. Did you mean to gain favor. God's favor? Okay, favor. Yeah. I yes. just wanted to double check. Yeah. So, anyways, I didn't know what that meant, <laughs> uh, but I saw that in a lot of different um, sources that it was extreme self denial, which, okay. So, I also saw that some sources called them liberal Christian universalists, that they had a lot of Christian values, but believed in things like the pre existence and reincarnation of one's soul, which is. Very much not Christian, no. the traditional Christian values. Um, but by 1864, um, Lorber ended up dying. And although he had received some attention for his writings, it was pretty minuscule until he passed away. And the extent of his writings were found and eventually published like years later. Mm. So from here, around 1921, a following started to grow um, and, the cult was f- and a cult was formed in Germany. Looking for a name for the organization, 
They apparently didn't feel like uh, getting too creative, and they started with the name the New Salem's Gilschleft, however you say that, which New Salem, it New Salem Verlag, I think it's, it's V-E-R-L-A-G. I'm just going to start spelling sure. it. Um, they were the publishing house that published the book. So they got real creative, and they were like, oh, these people published it. I'm just going to call I'm it that. I'm just going to call them that. Great. Yeah. Well, by 1937, um, a lot was happening in the world, um, and especially in Germany, uh, with the exponential growth of the Nazi Party. Um, so this dude was already because he was born in 1800. Yeah, so we're, he was well, been well long dead. Him yeah, dead. Right, yeah. Great. So it was like great. it was years later that they found his writings. His writings. And, and okay, whatever. cool, cool. So um, being a time when all other religious views were seen as wrong, the party, uh, the Nazi Party, saw this group and were like, "Yeah, no, you're a cult." Um, the and, Nazis. Yeah. And, wow. Right, I know. I know. Uh, and, they're coming for you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, they ended up being, were prohibited from further practice. So after World War II, they got back together and they reformed under the name the Lorber Society. So the Nazis, they so this group of religious fucks were not yep. included in the mass genocide of... No, from what I saw, it didn't say anything about that. They were mm. just... They were basically prohibited because they were essentially they were Germans living in Germany. Oh, great! So they weren't Jewish. So they no. were or gay or any or, other thing. Yeah, yeah. or anything great. but Nazi. Okay. Fucking Nazis. <laughs> All right. Um, so throughout their years. The writings were uh, built upon from those who who led the organization because they all said that they also were uh, they also heard the words of Jesus. Jesus. Um, so by this time, the leader of the cult was a George Reichel. Reichel? I don't know. Riley. <laughs> His name was George R E R I E H L E. Riley. <laughs> so, um, so George was the leader in the organization developed to believe that all who were outside of the group were evil and impure. So while George was the leader, he met a man named Harold Alexander. Harold was married to a woman named Dagmar. Um, and from my research, I saw that they... It's a fucking name. I know. It's 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 D-A-G-M-A-R. My name's Dagmar. Yeah. And I'm weird. actually... So all the sources that I saw um, have his name as Harold, but I did see other people spelling and pronouncing it different. So I think... Just my research kind of like Americanized some of it. Um, Wait, but are we Dagmar, selling they Dagmar? Kept it. Oh. Well, there was Harold, who was oh. married to Dagmar. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Yep. So from my research, um, I saw that these two met early. Um, they met either very shortly after his release from a 15-year stay at a psychiatric facility or mm. during his stay. I couldn't mm. find one that told me either way. But either way, he was in the a psychiatric facility and they met. Um, and they apparently fell in love and got married. As one one does. As one um, does in a psychiatric unit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so when Harold met George, Harold got really excited um, as he heard all about the society. Um, I read in one source that Harold also at one point said that um, he heard God talking to him as well. God. Yeah. Um, so he was obviously super invested from the beginning. Um, Harold went home and told Dogmer um, all about the society um, and that what they stood for and that they were joining. And from what I saw, Dagmar was very, was a very obedient woman. She did whatever he wanted. Um, it, and it feels as if it was a really toxic masculinity kind of relationship that she just fell in place. She just did as, as he wanted. Oh, Dagmar. Yeah. So they joined and they threw themselves completely into it. They isolated themselves from people in their lives and they sequeltered themselves to only the society. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sequeltered. Yeah. Sequeltered. Sequestered. Sequestered. 
Yeah. Whatever. I even it's even <laughs> underlined red because I spelt it wrong. So you, he <laughs> spelt like, it sequeltered. I did sequeltered, and it's underlined. <laughs> this is why I shouldn't use big words. <laughs> but Brandon, what's even funnier is that you were like, yeah, yeah, sequeltered. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't realize what you were saying. <sighs> Anyways, oh, fuck that. They sequeltered funny. themselves. <laughs> um, I hate you. I hate Sorry. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, that one, that one was, that was good. You're good. You're, you're oh, good. You I for that moment. Anyway, <laughs> right. I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> we now need to always say sequeltered. Shut the fuck up. Anyways, oh, um, so basically, they kept away from everyone, <laughs> um, uh, and instantly, George and Harold became really close. Um, so everybody else in their life, they just saw as evil. So they just really stuck to only the people in the group. So soon after they joined, George ended up getting really sick and it progressed really quickly and he eventually died. Like oh. very soon after that Harold and Dogmar became they sequeltered yeah. themselves. I mean, I didn't see what happened. I couldn't see anywhere. I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to get over it. I can't. Okay, I'm trying. Um so I didn't see what happened to him, but whatever it was, it happened really quick. Um so once George died, Harold started to tell everyone that before his death, George called for him. Um, when Harold got there, George knew that he was dying and that he wanted him to take over as the leader of the Lorber Society. Is it Lorber or Lober? Lor- Lober. 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 Lober Society. Okay. No, it's Lorber. I had it. Oh, it's Lorber. You're looking at my notes. It's spelled wrong there. Okay, it's cool. Lorber. Lorber. From what we just decided, you shouldn't I look, at me, the, I'll look at my own the spelling on my screen. It's the quilter. Fuck. Anyways, um, Harold was obviously super excited to take over. And for some reason, everybody just went with it. They were like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Mm. So it to me, this feels really fucking weird because they had just joined the organization and nobody seems to care. So everything um, I read um, for a short period of time, everything stayed the same. Nothing was different until one day um, when Harold told them that he heard from God and that God said there would be a prophet. Because, you know, there's always prophets and cults. It feels like God's been saying that a lot. Right. Um, And he said (laughs) that it would be uh, the next prophet of God. And Harold told everyone that as soon as he saw the person, um, he would immediately know that that was the prophet. So they didn't know who it was yet. But as soon as Harold saw them and said, yes, that is who it is, Mm -hmm. that's who it was. So in hindsight, this was him starting to groom the people of the group. Um, Well, more um, more than they already were. He started to tell them uh, that when the prophet comes, that everyone, including himself, will have to do whatever the prophet says. It doesn't matter how strange or odd the requests were, uh, that they had to do it. Um, and he told them that th- they told them he <laughs> they told them that he had to they had to do what. Oh my gosh. I should literally just read the words. I'm trying to change it. They had to do it, and he told them this over and over repeatedly told them until they believed it and eventually they did. Jesus. So after a couple years, Harold and Dogmar um, had a baby girl named Marina um, and they had their second child on the way, a baby boy named Frank. So instantly, Harold laid his eyes on Frank and immediately he knew. Oh, of course. It My was own the child is the prophet. Yep. So excited, he told everyone that the prophet had arrived and it was Frank. And from here on out, um, they had to listen to everything Frank said with the obvious twist that Harold had a bit of his own say in it. Um, 
because Harold was a baby. Um, and everyone agreed. No Frank. question. They were like, yes, Frank. Frank. Frank was the baby. Yes, because the next prophet will be so named they, Frank. They had to listen to everything that Frank, the infant, yes. said. Yes. So yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the next, uh, for the next few years, uh, this kid Frank grew up to be catered to. Anything he wanted, he got. Um, anything he said, eventually said, people did. Um, wow. Even his family played into it. His mother, his sister, and even his father um, all did what he said. Um, and whenever they uh, were with people from the, si- the society, they all did the same thing. No question asked. So, so obviously Frank started to grow up to be a really cool, cool, cool and humble human, <laughs> just like myself in how I speak. So humble. He's a cool, 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 cool as a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Frank was a, a, a disaster. He was an awful person. Uh, but by by the time sure. Frank hit his teen year, teenage years, puberty started to hit. As it okay. does. Yep. Okay. I feel like I skipped something. Okay, at some point, oh, I did. I totally skipped through this whole section. <laughs> so I'm going to jump back just a little bit when I say, when I have a note here that says, when Frank was about two years old, Harold and Dogmar had two more children, Petra and Savine, who were twins. Which is pretty important. Why does Petra sound like a, a, a name? Was that the name of the on um, Jane the Virgin? <laughs> yes, was, there was a Petra. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, okay. So they had two more kids, and then for the next few years, we'll go into that part where he Frank was catered to, even his sisters, um, all of his sisters. So his older sister, his younger sisters, they all um, uh, just they all followed him. Um, so by the time Frank hit hit his uh, teenage years, his, he started to hit puberty, jumping back to where I was. Um, and with pu- puberty comes obvious hormones. Oh. Um, so he obviously started getting interested in girls, uh, wherever, however, there was a caveat growing up. All he knew that was, was that he was the prophet. Um, and that people outside of the group was evil and impure because he grew up with the idea that he was going to be, that he was the prophet and that, and in, in that everybody outside of their culture was evil. So what makes this this next little bit fun is that the society was not very large and there weren't many people in in their society for Frank to be interested in. Um, and Frank was really adamant about keeping his purity because he was scared about being unpure. So Frank went to talk to his father. He told him about his issues um, and told him that he had the best solution for it. Frank then goes to tell his father that he will keep his purity um, by sleeping with his mother and sisters <gasps> whenever he wanted to. No, no, oh my sir. God, <laughs> Was Harold like, no? So Harold heard this and immediately agreed. 100%. No wait, question. Wait, sorry. Who told him that? His father. His dad. Wait, Harold, Harold? is his father. Harold is his father. Yeah. yeah. Harold. So Harold went. He went to go talk to Harold, and Harold immediately agreed. So his so father Frank went to his agreed. dad and was like, "I want to stay pure, so I'm going to now sleep, sleep with, with mom." So and it was my Frank's sister. idea. To it was Frank's, sleep yeah. With his mother, and yeah. like they were already groomed. Harold, in a sense, groomed himself to always think that whatever Frank wanted, Frank got. So he was like, "Yes," um, and so he agreed um, that it's um, too big of a risk of contaminating the prophet of God. Um, and he took it seriously. Um, he also eventually added that he would also be able to partake in the festivities occasionally. Oh my God. Ew. Oh, incest oh, the best. Bar. Yeah. So brainwashed by the cult mentality, 
uh, they conformed without question, and the sexual assaults began to began immediately. And when I say they conformed, the family conformed. Um, it would become a common practice in the Alexander household. Uh, so much that one of the twins went to school and was talking to a classmate and told them how their brother wasn't paying enough attention to her. That all um, that he has all been that he has been doing was all he's. Oh my lord! Why can't I just follow my words? So cute. Um, that uh, all he's been doing is paying attention to everybody else, and that she had the tone of disappointment, like she wanted the attention. So the classmate obviously got freaked out, and kids being kids, the word started to get out that what was happening, um, and other students talked to other students, and eventually talked to parents, um, and the parents who um, immediately got freaked out, and they called the police. Um, eventually, Great. the society the society started to hear about what was being said, um, completely completely confused by what they heard because none of them heard any of this previously, um, and so. Frank or Harold got a little bit um, uh, concerned because people were starting to uh, back away from from the society and the family, um, and none of them consented to the incest. So Frank or Harold started to panic. So he called a meeting to the of the society and said that he'd be stepping down from his position. Position. He reiterated that Frank was still the prophet, uh, but they were um, being called by God to leave. So they packed their bags and moved to Spain. Specifically, Santa Cruz, which is one of the in, in part of one of the Canary Islands. Um, so, in Santa Cruz, just like in Germany, they secluded, <laughs> not sequeltered. <laughs> That's probably what I meant to say, secluded. Oh well, we said sequestered. So, right? Yeah, we said yeah, secluded. Mixed. Mixed. I yeah, like mixed the two. Yeah. <laughs> sequestered. Well, they <laughs> secluded themselves um, from everyone around them. However, unlike in Germany, they only had themselves. No one else was a part of their society. Uh, so. It was just their family continuing to practice calling Frank the prophet. Disgusting. Yeah. So on December 16th, 1970, the family was hanging out at the house and Harold and Dagmar were laying in bed about to take a nap when Frank walked in. He sat at the edge of the bed and he said his mother was staring at him. Uh, Frank said her eyes looked suggestive and evil as if uh, she was looking at him defiantly. It's also quoted that he's uh, that uh, he said she had a demonic look, cold as ice, and a sarcastic smile on her lips. Frank immediately freaked out, thinking how inappropriate uh, of her to be looking at him that way. Um, and then he declared it was killing hour. So, when the family moved to the island, uh, their religious ideals shifted a bit. Um, one update that I'm not. Uh, that, that I'm not sure if it came before their move or after their move, um, that Harold and Frank started to believe that all women were inherently evil. Jesus. That Yeah, that the only way they were to be saved was to be sacrificed. So they declared that at any point, that if Frank declared it to be killing hour, that he would, he would then kill all of the women in the household to save them. Okay. Incels. Yeah, and because of all of the grooming, everyone in the family complied and agreed to it. Okay, so yeah, 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 yeah you can kill me now. Yeah, yeah. If oh, you want to oh, kill oh, me, oh, just yeah. kill me whenever you want. Makes sense. So when what Frank said fuck? it was killing hour, um, his mother basically laid back and waited. So yeah, yeah, this is, this is where it gets to be really just real fun. So Frank started slapping his mother um, and calling for his father to grab a wooden hanger 
uh, from the closet and he started to beat the shit out of her. Uh, one source I even saw said that after the first blow with the hanger, Dagmore rolled over to make it easier for him to kill her. Right. So Frank continued um, as Harold sat next to Dagmar in the bed, jumping up with excitement. Harold ended up running over um, to, I believe, the living room where they had their organ, their musical organ. And he started playing music to go along with the murder on an organ. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Sounds like a terrifying scary movie. So with the sounds coming from the other side of the house, Marina and Petra came out of their room to see the commotion. Um, When they stepped out and saw their father playing the organ, he let them know that the killing hour had begun. Understanding what was next, both sisters sat down in the living room and waited for their turn. By the time Frank moved on from his mother, it is unclear if she was dead or if she was just unconscious. But at this point, Frank didn't care and he moved on. Um, on his way over to his sisters um, who just like their mother complied until they beat them into the same point as their mother. Um, At this point, Frank decided that he needs to finish the sacrifice. He got Harold to grab a hammer, a razor and pruning shears. Frank then proceeded to cut each. Okay. This one, this gets a little bit rough, but Frank then proceeded to cut off each of their nipples, um, their breasts and genitalia grabbed the hammer and nails and affixed them to the walls of the home. Oh my Lord. Yeah. He then dismembered them and removed his mother's heart, wrapped it in string and hung it from the wall. One source even said that at one point Frank got tired um, and he ended up telling Harold that they needed to switch because Harold was playing the organ throughout this whole thing um, and that he needed a break from cutting up the body. So Harold, uh, they switched. Harold goes and cuts up and uh, Frank starts to play the organ. The next day, they got up and they decided to go uh, talk to Sabine to let her know what happened. Now, at this point in my research, uh I was like, wait, who was Sabine? Yeah, who was Sabine? Yeah. So, and I have it in here. Now, you may be thinking, wait, who's Sabine again? (laughs) (laughs) So, Sabine was the other twin because there was three sisters. Wait, who's twin? Petra and Marina. Marina was the oldest. Petra was the twin of Sabine. Oh, so there was the three Frank, sisters. Frank was the oldest. Frank, no, it was it was Marina, Frank, and then Sabine and Petra. Oh, so the night previously, uh, Sabine was not at the apartment for the killing hour. That night, uh, she spent the night working as a housekeeper at the home of Doctor Trenklers. Um, so she never went home. Doctor Trenklers. Yeah. So Harold and Frank knocked on the door at Doctor Trenkler, and Doctor Trenkler answered. When he did, um, he saw these two gentlemen standing in front of him, covered in what looked like mud and dirt, and the doctor was really creeped out. Uh, when they then told him um, who they were and that they wanted to talk to Sabine, uh, he, reluctantly, he reluctantly went to grab her. She came down, and Harold immediately started to talk, and Dr. T- Trenkler heard everything. He hears Harold say, Sabine, dear, uh, we need, uh, we wanted you to know Um, at once that Frank and I have just finished killing your mother and your sisters. He then hears Sabine say, I'm sure that you've done what you thought was necessary. Uh, The doctor admittedly freaked out. um, (laughs) And he went and ran and called the police. Uh, The police got to the doctor's house, which seemed, um, which seemed odd that they never left um, because they knew that the doctor heard everything. 
Huh. So they just stayed there because to them they didn't they weren't doing anything wrong. It was a killing hour. It's what what happened. Um so the uh the three ended up telling the police um everything because again, to them they did nothing wrong and they that because they wanted to be pure and they cleansed their souls by cutting them apart. Um obviously Frank and Harold were arrested. Their trial took two years and they were um uh and there were talks about the death penalty. However, in that time, Frank and Harold were um sent for a psychology psychological evaluation and they were eventually ruled as criminally insane and they were sent to the Madrid penitentiary 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 psychiatric assistance center. That's just a very long name. It is. Yeah. So Sabine, because of her, her trauma was scared. She begged the court to allow her to go with them, oh my Lord. which she was obviously denied. And to make this story even more fucked up, in 1990, when Harold was 61 and Frank was 36, they somehow escaped from the facility never to be seen again. What? <laughs> oh, my God. They're going to walk through the door right now. <laughs> there, is, there is this theory, because nobody's heard from Sabine again either, that they think that they may have left, found Thank her, God, killed, her killed, killed her, killed killed all of them. Uh, yeah, well, They had unfinished business, clearly. Yeah. Ew, Sabine. Yeah. So that is what the, the fuck cult. I have cult-ish. It's still a cult murder. Um, the Alexander family. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, okay, that one was that Jesus. one was kind of rough. Yeah. I so, don't know how you. It's one thing to like have one crazy person, but to like convince a whole family. family. Yeah, and I don't. I don't understand the idea of. Okay, you tell me that at some point you're going to tell me you're going to kill me and I just have to be cool with it. Yeah, like... And I'm yeah. going to be cool with it. And it's weird that they're like sitting on the bed and he's just like, it's the killing hour. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Like, it cool. makes me wonder what the 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 writings were. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, God, that was fucked. What? Yeah. Yeah, well, fuck It that. was intense. Well, from what, I, what I've seen is that the Lorber Society didn't end up... Like the original teachings mm-hmm. weren't as crazy as they ended up becoming. Yeah. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Sure. Um, this is why I'm so removed from religion. It's terrifying. These stories. I mean, it's unpopular opinion. I think all religions are cults. I do too. Yeah, I think it's all weird. I it's think, fucked, but... I mean, at one point, Christianity was seen as a cult. Yeah. Right. Um. Well, that, the, so that, that was, was fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Anna. This whole episode was fucked up. How are, yeah, was. How are you feeling? <laughs> Deeply disturbed. <laughs> Me too. That one was fucked. I didn't. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. I don't either. It's crazy that somebody can convince their entire family. Yeah. Of uh, this murder hour, whatever kill hour, whatever the fuck they call killing it. Killing hour. Killing hour. Yeah, that's just outrageous. I just like as I was reading it, I'm like, this all feels like a movie. Yeah. No. Like, this I, all feels yeah. fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Nope. I just. I'm surprised. Is there not a movie about that? I didn't see anything. I feel like that's crazy that there's yeah. not. Right? Yeah, I actually agree like with that. Because that's like just such a Maybe people are like, story. I'm not addressing, I'm not touching that one because that one's <laughs> fucked. Yeah, I don't know. Possibly. Yep. Oh, wow. Today's scary. Were, those were those were interesting. I feel like there's a lot of um, juicy, horrible meat to cults. This is why. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's more um, 
I mean, there's a. I was saying that there was quite a bit. Of oh, like there's a lot cult murders in like general. Like we could have multiple episodes on cult yeah. murders. Well, yeah. the Kool Aid. That one's crazy. The mass suicide. Oh my mm-hmm. god! I, I know. know that was. And, where was that? Johannesburg? Or what was that? There's I been, don't. It's just been a few. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that one was fucked up. That yeah. was like a Jonestown. Hundred. Jonestown. That's where. Jonestown. Yeah. Jonestown. I mean, that's like Jonestown, a similar. How yeah. do you convince people to be okay with their own deaths in yeah. that way? Yeah. Just killing themselves in like yeah, a mass group. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that we both picked ones that were not like super known. Yeah, I didn't know this one at all. Because I didn't know yours yeah. either. Which is, I didn't know that one either. Yeah. Oh God. Crazy. Um, craziness. All right. Well, that was episode crazy, seven, crazy. which is exciting. Um, so as always, please rate and review, but go to Apple podcasts and do it for right now, uh, <laughs> as a five star, but do it so that you can be a part of our, what's the tea giveaway. Yes. Um, and then also, uh, our hometown murders, send those in, uh, again, they have to be cases that are, you know, older, um, as well as, you know. Yeah, give us your own little take, and we'll yeah. read it through the dramatic eyes of you. Do us. the <laughs> you do the research, and just send it in, and we will read it, and it'll be great. So those are on Thursday, and I will do my best at reading it and not stumbling on everything. <laughs> <laughs> he will stumble, which I love. A I lot. will. Um, and it's so great to have you back, Anna. Yes. Yay, Yay. I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, perfect. Yay! On to episode eight. What's episode eight about? Episode eight is our. Mommy Dearest episode. <gasps> Moms who kill. Moms who murder. Moms who shouldn't kill. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> <All right>. Ah. <laughs> Moms who kill. <laughs> Slay mom. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's so inappropriate. <laughs> funny. All right. And on that note, we'll catch you at the next episode. Yes. Goodbye. Uh, toodles. <laughs>